Well, good morning. We want to welcome all of our campuses. We are glad that you are here today. And a couple things before we open God's Word. Look in your programs and please take out this church engagement survey. I want to take just a couple minutes to walk through this so that we're all on the same page and know what our next steps are. First, look on the side that says, thank you for participating. And we do want to thank you for participating. About 1,300 of you gave us good input and feedback, and we have taken that. We had a team of three people who went through every comment that you gave, looked for the echoes, looked for the resounding themes, and then we met as elders, leadership team, and those three individuals who knew that information well and started to put together some goals that we believe we need to focus on for these next two to three years. So we took your information, you gave us the input, we started working on these goals. Now, there's a score there. I want to I wanna share uh, the meaning of that score. The net promoter score goes like this. You take the uh, number, 68% of those who said, I would uh, invite someone to the Bible shop and be very likely to do that. You gave a 9 or 10, 68% of you said that. Then you throw out the 20% of those who were an 8 or 7 on that. And then you subtract the six to one to sixes, 12%, and you come up with a net promoter score of 56. If you are a business, and a lot of businesses use this, 50 or better is excellent. In a church, we want to shoot a little higher. So we, need to, we want to be right at uh, 70. So this gives us a baseline to work at. So we took the 1,300 comments, went through all of them, looked for echoes, the elders leadership team, and the three individuals who looked at all those comments got together, and we looked at three goals, three major goals from your comments. Now, if you'll turn that sheet over, here, here's the next step for us. On January 5 and 6, I'll be uh, preaching a sermon, putting those goals in a scriptural foundation. Then on the 14th, 15th, and 20th, we're going to offer three opportunities. You just have to come. You don't have to come to any of them. We would invite you to come to one of these three, one of these three, either on the 14th or the 15th or the 20th. It's going to be 90 minutes, and what we'll do there is we'll set kind of the state of our church, and we'll share those goals that we got from your input and then we'll make sure they're clear, they're understood, the rough edges we need to sand down, we'll get your input back during that time, okay? That's 90-minute sessions, the 14th, the 15th, or the 20th. One of them is after church on a Sunday, one of them is an evening, and one of them is actually a, a morning. So we're trying to give opportunities to do that. Then... Once we get those goals sanded down and polished up from your input, again, the goals that you gave, 22nd of February will be the how, the strategy. How do we get these things rolling? How do we put them into process? And so we have some professional consultants that will come in and help us to do that. That's February the 22nd from 9 to 5, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. 
Now, it's on a Friday. You ask, why would you do it during the week? Because the consultants who do this for a lot of churches say that they get better attendance from a weekday. People would rather take off a day of work than they would give up their weekend. So that's the basis that we're going on there. And we're letting you know uh, uh, um, out front so that you can be, and, and there'll be ways to sign up. We'll give you plenty of ways to sign up. But that's the 22nd. We'll meet in the uh, FLC here in the South Hills campus. For those of you at the other campuses, we'll be at the FLC. That's the biggest room we have. And uh, we'll have people helping us walk through the strategies. Okay, that makes sense? So we took your comments. We put them into echoes. And from those echoes, three major goals that we're still polishing. We'll communicate those to you on the 14th or the 15th or the 20th and then get your feedback regarding, yeah, I understand those. Maybe this could be said a little differently, your feedback. Then on the 22nd is a strategy for putting things in place to get it done for the next three years. Make sense? All right. So appreciate you being a part of that. The other thing is invite you back this afternoon at 3 or 6. When we planned the three or six, the Steelers were playing at 8.20, and so that wasn't a problem. But because they're playing such a poor team in the Oakland Raiders, 2 and 10, they moved it up to four without asking us and messed up our times. But as I said, the Oakland Raiders are 2 and 10. So who cares? You can come either at 3 or 6. I talked to a person in the cafe afterwards. Well, there was some good connection stuff that takes place in the cafe between the services. And I talked to an individual, and she said they tried to come last year, and, and they, there was no room at all. So that's why we've done it uh, two times this year so that you can be a part of it. So please come back. Invite someone who doesn't know Christ. It's a great opportunity to do that. The last thing is this is the end of the year. And you can look at our budget. We're running behind. December is always when we catch up, and so we are asking you to prayerfully consider how you will be a part of that catch-up at the end of the year. We appreciate your generosity, and we know that December is a big month uh, for giving, and uh, we are asking you to, again, participate and help us. We have cut back on our spending, and we have uh, frozen all capital uh, expenditures to this point so that we can make certain that we end up where we need to end up but we also uh, need to challenge you and ask you to prayerfully uh, give here at the end of the year. Let's pray together before we open God's word. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for our time of singing at all the campuses. Thank you for all the worship teams at each campus and Lord, the opportunity we have to come and just uh, this amazing thing to be able to sing, to, 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 to uh, reach down into the bottom of our being and sing praises to you. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us today as only you can do through your word. Only you, only you can meet us where we are. Only you know exactly what's going on in our mind and our heart. Only you know the temptations we have faced this past week. Maybe some failures we have encountered this past week. Only you know the great joys of our heart. So, Father, meet us where we are. Speak to us intimately and help us, Lord, be in that position that we are receiving what you have to tell us today. 
We thank you for the opportunity to come, to interact together, to sing together, and on all of our campuses, we want to pray together as Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so there is within each of us this innate desire for self-service. You agree with that? I know it's in my heart. A craving to get our way. It just comes naturally. We see it early on, don't we? In two-year-old temper tantrums, in three-year-old meltdowns, and then in all kinds of pouting and moping and sulking that stay with some people throughout their lives. Sometimes, left unchecked, our immature self-serving moments turn into deep spiritual issues like anger, bitterness, jealousy, and critical spirits. Inward spiritual issues left unchecked start on the inside, but they always, at some time, sooner or later, some form or fashion, show up on the outside in ugly and hurtful ways. And we become the equivalent of the Grinch, right? We live with a heart two sizes too small. And in real life, that heart condition damages relationships, breaks up marriages, separates families, and drives deep wedges in friendships. This fall, we considered a series of sermons we titled Unselfie, We, Not Me. We were looking at the community around us. How, how, how can we get our focus off ourselves and others? So the campus pastors got together and <clears throat> we started considering a Christmas series. And we decided just to keep the same theme, an unselfie Christmas, but change the focus, not we, but he, not me, to keep our focus on Jesus. So the passages that we chose to go through this Christmas are to zero in on the, on, the, on the work of Jesus. In the New Testament, the stories that teach us to keep our focus on Jesus, not on ourselves. Last time, we looked at John the Baptist. And we learned from John the Baptist the believer's job description. The believer's job description could be written on one side of a very small piece of paper. It's simply this to point people to Jesus. Our assignment is to allow God to use us in our present 
stage of life, whatever that stage is, you say, I don't get it, I'm going through a hard time. Yeah, that's the stage God wants you to use today. You don't get it, I'm going through a devastating time. You don't know the hurt I'm feeling. Yeah, that's the stage that God wants you to use today to point people to himself. Man, I'm going through a time of great blessing, never been better. Yeah, that's the stage that God wants you to use to point people to himself, neighbors, friends, family, work associates, classmates. So a quick story. Scott Keffer and Jack Keebler are teaching a class. And by the way, we have several classes that you can go to. There's a sheet that tells you all the classes that uh, take place at 9 o'clock. And at 1045, this sheet is in the lobby. It's for you to see and, and uh, go to one of these classes. But Scott and Jack are teaching a class called the eight questions every serious Christian must answer. Eight questions every serious Christian must answer. And one of the questions they have dealt with is, does God have a plan for my life? One of the eight, does God have a plan for my life? So there's a guy in a class named Roger Ehrlich, and Roger takes uh, copious notes and uh, he puts these into, into draft form, and he sends them out to different people. And one of the uh, people that he sends them to is the guy in prison that Roger has this ongoing uh, communication with. And so Roger was saying, you know, I, I, I wrote out this lesson, does God have a plan for my life? And I always send it to this guy, but I, I felt a little strange sending this lesson, does God have a plan for my life, to a guy in prison. But I sent it anyway, not knowing how he would respond. Here's how the guy responded. Remember, this guy's in prison. Regarding God's plan for my life, I have been given the gift of exhortation. I like to think of myself as a spiritual fire starter, a bottle of accelerant, if you will. I'm busting my rear end to develop a thorough systematic theology so I can teach people better. Did I mention the guy is in prison? I love teaching, preaching, and God willing, will leave here one day and do that on a larger scale in the world. Now listen to what he says. But the good thing about this purpose, however, is that it can be performed anywhere. In the event that I am forced to spend the rest of my days in prison... I can still plant seeds and impact lives for the kingdom right where I am. That guy's in prison. What's our excuse? Are we impacting lives right where we are? Yeah, difficult times. Yeah, challenging times. Yeah, times of great blessing. Are we impacting lives right where we are. Serving Jesus where you are, that's our focus today. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, the second gospel. While you're turning there, I'll set the context. There are three times in the gospel of Mark that Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be with you much longer. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, handed over to the Romans. They're going to spit on me. 
They're going to beat me. They're going to flog me. They're going to put me on a cross. Then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Three times Jesus tells the disciples that. And every time, they don't get it. The first time he tells them that, Peter says, Lord, uh uh-uh, that ain't going to happen to you. Peter takes Jesus over to the side and rebukes Jesus. Jesus, don't talk like that. What are you talking like that? Well, Peter rebuked Jesus. What do you think Jesus did to Peter? (laughs) He rebuked him back, and he said, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand what I came to do. The second time he tells them the story, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be flogged, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again from the dead. They were up in the, the northern part of Israel. They were in the Galilee area, and they were in the, in the Galilean headquarters of Capernaum. That's where Peter lives. And it says that right after Jesus told them that, he went into a house, probably Peter's house, and uh, he asked them, he, he, he got them together, and he said, hey, guys, what, what were you talking about on the journey here? Well, I, know, I saw you guys kind of talking about something together. What, what were you talking about? And they kind of looked down and shuffled their feet because you know what they've been talking about? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Which one of us is going to get the high appointments? And it says Jesus took a little child, maybe Peter's child, and brought that child to himself and held that child and said, unless you become like a little child, faith of a little child, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. Well, the third time Jesus told them that is in Mark chapter 10. He says, I'm going to to be flogged, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise from the dead. And right after that, two of the disciples, James and John, came to Jesus with a question. Look at chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you to do. I like that question, don't you? I can relate to that question. Jesus, I don't know what you want for me, but I know what I want you to do for me. And so they ask him a question. Now, James and John were in the inner three of Jesus' group. Remember, there were 12 disciples, and there was Peter, James, and John that were in the inner three. Interestingly, uh, Jesus called Peter and Andrew first. They were fishing, and so were James and John. They had a fishing business with their dad, Zebedee. And it says, when Jesus called them and said, follow me, they left the boats, they left their dad in the boats with the hired help, and they took off, and they started following after Jesus. Now, their personality was interesting. One time, they were with Jesus, and they went into a Samaritan village, and Samaritans wouldn't let Jesus come in. They they ran him out. They said, we don't want you here. You get away from here. And remember what James and John said? Let's just call fire down from heaven and burn them all up. Jesus said, probably not a good idea. But he did give them a nickname because of their personality. You know what their nicknames was? They were called the Sons of Thunder. And that well fit their personality. And so they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to give us whatever we ask you. And Jesus kind of humors them and he said, well, What do you want me to do for you? And they say in verse 37, grant us to set one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. You're going to set up the kingdom. We're going to be a nation just like Israel when David led it. All the world's going to come and see us in your glory. When you set up your kingdom, we want the two 
best spots. We want the two highest appointments, one on your right, that's the highest, and the second would be one on your left. You're the guy, but we want to be your number two and your number three. Jesus said in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? Now think about what Jesus is saying. He's been telling them, I'm going to die. When he talks about the cup, he's talking about, he's using a a figure of speech from the Old Testament. When the cup was poured out, it was the cup of wrath. And he is saying in that figure of speech, we now understand it, having the full measure of Scripture, he is saying, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to bear the sins of the world. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on me. Think about that. God's wrath for sin from the beginning of the world, your sin and mine, will be poured out on Jesus. And Jesus said, Are you, can you do that? And he says, can you handle the baptism that I'm going to go through? Baptism is not Christian baptism. Baptism was from the Old Testament, a figure of speech. And in the Old Testament, when you were baptized, it was, a, it was an overwhelming flood of, of sorrow or terror of, 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 of destruction coming on you. And Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be baptized with this, with this death, paying for the penalty of sin. Can you do that? Now think of the question that Jesus is asking them, the depth of the question. Of course you can't do that. But look what they say in verse 39. Yeah, not a problem. We are able. Now Jesus could have rebuked them like he rebuked Peter. But he says, well, okay. We're going to pare it back a little bit here. But the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized, you will be baptized. You're going to go through some difficult times. And they did. James was the first apostle to be uh, martyred in Acts. You read that story here. The group of the first had him beheaded. John was the last apostle to die. He didn't die a martyr's death, but he, uh, he certainly went through persecution and uh, uh, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But Jesus says, you're going you're gonna to suffer. I get that. Not like I'm going to suffer because you, you're not even understanding that. But to set it, my right hand or my left, is not for me to grant. It's not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. That is not my call. That's the heavenly father. Jesus always came to do the will of the Father. Now, how do you think the other disciples, somehow this got leaked. They went to Jesus in private. Somehow it got leaked. Um, Matthew says that their mother, Salome, was involved in it. Uh, Salome, a lot of people think, was a sister of Mary. And so she may have come and asked for a special favor as a relative. Either she encouraged them to go ask Jesus or they encouraged her to ask on their behalf. She was involved in it, Matthew tells us. Somehow it got leaked. How do you think the disciples responded? They weren't too happy. Look at verse 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant 
at James and John. I love that phrase, began to be indignant. They were a little irritated, and then they were more irritated, and they were more irritated, and they were incensed. Now, they weren't incensed at the question James and John had asked. They were just mad because James and John beat them to the punch, right? They had already been talking about it. They were talking about that on the road in chapter 9. Who's going to be the greatest? And they were just irritated that James and John had the guts to go to Jesus and say, we want to do it. So Jesus uses this time as a great teaching opportunity. And he calls them together. And he said to them in verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. You know how it works in the world. You get it. You know that in this world we live in, the Roman rulers, in fact, the emperor thinks he's a god. And he implants his, imprints his image on every coin. And so every time you go spend money, you're reminded that there's the god, the emperor. And He's the guy who has it all, and you have nothing. And he oppresses people, and he persecutes people, and he taxes people into poverty. That's how it works with the Gentiles. That's how they do it. They lord it over people. But I love what Jesus says in those first words of verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. We don't do it that way here. It's counterculture. We do things differently. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Two words Jesus uses there. He who will be great among you must be your servant. That is a word that means a house servant, specifically a person who waits on tables pretty menial task. A person whose sole job is to make sure other people are fed. A person whose sole job is to make sure other people are nourished. A person whose sole job is to make sure other people are taken care of. You want to be great? You take care of other people. You want to be great? Be a house servant. And If you want to be first, you must be the slave of all. There's the Greek word doulos. It means someone who is owned by someone else. Someone whose job in life, whose assignment in life is to work at the pleasure of another person. Jesus said, you want to be great? You got to be the slave of all. That's what God has called you to do. We don't do it like the world does it. They're out to get ahead. They'll step on you. They'll cut corners. They'll lie. They'll stab you in the back. They'll go around you. That's how the world does it. But we don't do it like that here. And then Jesus gives the supreme example. They're going to see it firsthand, but he tells them now, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his, he uses that same word back up, servant, house 
serving tables. Even I, Jesus said, that's what I came to do. I didn't come to be served. I didn't come for you to wait on me, but I came to serve you and to give my life a ransom for many. The word ransom means to buy back or pay a price for. It was specifically applied to a slave who you wanted to buy out of slavery, so you had to pay money for that to happen, or a prisoner of war who you wanted to buy back from another country who had been taken uh, prisoner, person taken prisoner. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to buy us out of the bondage of sin. We were slaves to sin. He was our ransom. He paid the price on the cross to buy us back from the bondage of sin. And one thing cool in this verse, this preposition for, it's only used here in uh, Mark. It's the Greek word anti, and it means instead of or in place of. And so in that little preposition, we have this beautiful theological truth called the substitutionary atonement. Jesus died in our place. He died in our stead. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to wait on us and buy us out of slavery so we wouldn't have to because we couldn't in the first place. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So in Jesus' economy, greatness is giving. Leadership is service. Okay, how do we apply this? Three things. Number one, a heart of service is developed from the inside out. Only you can develop a heart of service. Tag, you're it. Acts of service without a heart of service is worthless. The Pharisees, renowned for their outward acts of religiosity, were the most condemned by Jesus because he said you are like a whitewashed tomb. You look so good on the outside, but inside you are full of dead men's bones. God says to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 29, 13, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Only we, only you can develop a heart of service. And how do you do that? It's very simple. You start by reading God's word every day and entering into prayer, a conversation with him every day. You take his love letter that he's given you and you take time to read it and meditate on it and apply it to your life. You can't obey what you don't know. And so when you look at God's Word, who speaks to believers, written by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within us, it's the Holy Spirit who says, man, this is something you got to work on. This is something you have to do. 
This is a new bit of knowledge you just learned, not for more head knowledge, but for you to do something with it. This is God's love letter to us. So 2019, you got to figure out for yourself, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon or the evening, you've got to figure out a time when you can spend reading God's word. You're smart enough to figure it out on your own. What's the best plan for you? This year I've read through, reading through the Bible, just pretty much on schedule. Some years I don't do that. Some years I just focus on the Gospels. We're going to be focusing on the Gospels in our daily devotions. You can deliver right to your iPhone a verse from the Gospels, and we're going to take the year to just focus on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and following Jesus through the Gospels. I record it so you can listen to it if you're running short on time. But the best thing for you to do is to get in it on your own. So use that verse as a way with that little devotion to focus and meditate and see what God has for you. Now, if you're already doing this, fantastic. Keep doing it. If you haven't done it, I'm going to give you some advice. Just five minutes. Just five minutes. Don't leave from here and say, oh my, 2019, an hour a day, man, an hour a day. Because what's going to happen is you're going to do that one time, maybe two times. So if you haven't run before and you came to me and said, you know, I'd like to start running, what should I do? I'd say, well, here's what you need to do. You need to go get up tomorrow morning or whenever you do it, and you need to walk three blocks. That's it. And then do that for a week. And then the next week, run a block and walk three. And then build yourself up to where you're running a mile or walking half a mile and running half a mile. And build, where, build yourself up to where you want to do it. Because what, here's, what, here's what most people do. Man, I'm getting in shape, right? 2019, January 1, I'm going to join this club and I'm going to go run four miles. And you're so sore the next morning, you say, I ain't, I'm never going to do that again. That hurts. So build yourself up. Five minutes. Build it up. Because when you get in God's Word, I promise you, if you are serious about getting into God's Word and taking those five minutes, you're going to want six and seven and eight. And then you meditate on that during the day. It's not like... You know, I, I checked off the box and now I go do my thing. It's I take God's word with me. It's his love letter to us. So Laura and I went to different colleges. And um, I was ahead of her uh, in colleges about a few years. But uh, we went to different schools. And, and this was before email and all that. And she would write me letters. I'd love it when she wrote me letters, man. When she wrote me a letter and I got it and went to my box over there in the student union and got her, her letter, man, Everything else was off. I went and took that letter. I found a private spot. I got away from my roommate and my friends, and I read her letter. Why did I do it? It was her love letter to me. I wanted to parse every word. What did she mean by that? Now, that was pretty cool. One day she sent me, um, she took, remember those Pringle, Pringle potato chip canisters? She decorated it all up. And then 
She put cookies in there. And I opened it up. And the first cookie in frosting had a little sugar cookie. I on there. So I ate it. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I wondered what the next letter was, and it was an L. I ate it. And I ate the O and the V and the E and the Y-O-U. The psalmist says, when we see God's word as our love letter, it is sweet to our taste. It's like honey from the honeycomb. So just take some time with God. You only develop a heart from the inside out. And no one can do it but you. 2019. Now, don't waste the next three weeks. Do it now. But right now, 2019, that's going to be my year. We're going to do this. We're going to go through the Gospels together. We can do that together. I'll go through the Gospels with you every day. I'll meet you every morning. Those things come out at 4 o'clock. Man, I have to get up early to get those things out. <laughs> not really, not really. They were done ahead of time. I'll meet you every day, every morning to go through the Gospels together. But let's just go through God's Word together. Deal? No excuses for us. Meet with God. Number two, a heart of service is confirmed by acts of service. A heart of service is confirmed by acts of service. In January, we're going to start going through 1 John. So the guy we're talking about today, John, wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote Revelation, the last book, and then he wrote three letters. One has five chapters, one has one, and one has one. First, second, third John. We're going to look at all three of them, but focus on 1 John. And one of the things that is a theme throughout the book of 1 John is this. He says, here's why I'm writing these things. I write these things so you can know that you believe in the name of the Son of God and believing you have life in his name. I'm writing these things so you can be assured of your relationship with God. Now, I write these things, so we've got to figure out what these things are, right? And one of the themes in 1 John is, if you really love Jesus Christ, what do you do? You love other people. You, you serve other people. In fact, John, throughout, he says, if you say you love Jesus and hate your brother, you're a liar. John's pretty blunt. One part, he says, how can you say you love Jesus when you've never seen him but hate the person sitting next to you who you see in the flesh? So First John's going to just teach us this aspect of love, not some gooey, mushy definition of love, but love in action, serving, interacting, connecting, caring for each other. A heart of service is confirmed by acts of service couple opportunities. So I've asked, I've asked you to, to, to give me some things you do over Christmas that help you uh, have an unselfie Christmas. Again, we're all selfish, and we're all going to do our stuff during Christmas, but what are some things you do that help you focus on Christ, you know, more than, more than your family and yourself during Christmas? So here's what one family wrote. 
Our, our, family, our family calling for Christmas is the International Students of Pittsburgh. PRISM Ministry, P-R-I-S-M, Pittsburgh Regional International Student Ministry, is our, in our estimation, the easiest way to reach the nations right here in our city. Not only in the Christmas season, additionally, any time you can reach out and invite a student to your home or spend time with them at uh, Bell, Bellfield Church in Oakland. Every Sunday, most every Sunday night, there's an opportunity to meet with uh, international students at Bellfield. This family writes, with four daughters, it is our desire that the Lord's passion in us would become their passion also, so they are part of this outreach with us. And one of our sweetest memories is having students in our home on Christmas Day and sharing time with them. So maybe you're in a situation, I know everyone can't, but maybe you're in a situation where you could do that this year. I talked to Scott Boyd this week and said I was going to share this with you. And he said during Thanksgiving, they get a lot of host families. And there's a lot of international students that go in homes of believers during Thanksgiving. But he said it's really hard to do that during Christmas. In fact, they don't even ask the uh, international students to sign up for fear they won't have enough host people. Well, maybe you can be one of those host families. And in your notes, sermon notes, all the information is there, telephone number you can call. Um, a place to go sign up, or if you have any trouble getting where you want to go there, just email me, armore at biblechapel.org, and I'll get you to Scott Boyd. But maybe, again, I know everyone can't do it, but maybe some of you can say, this Christmas, we're going to host in our home an international student and be able to share Jesus with them. be pretty cool, huh? Maybe you could serve at the Washington City Mission. Maybe you could serve <clears throat> the local Salvation Army. I used to take the kids and we would pack groceries at the Salvation Army to give to families who uh, needed the food. Or maybe you can adopt a missionary. We usually put things that we need to communicate to you three times in the bulletin. I ask that this be put in a fourth. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider before you leave today, you've had time to pray about it, before you leave today, to check a box of one of our international workers that you're going to pray for during the year. And our, uh, our team will send you monthly uh, the prayer request that they have for that month. These families need our prayer. Uh, Laura and I had the privilege over Thanksgiving. Our, our kids were out with in-laws, so we said, okay, we have the opportunity to to go, and we went over to uh, Portugal and ministered to uh, a mission conference um, with about 50, 60 missionaries. And I'm telling you, man, you know, they, they don't proclaim themselves to be super saints. They got issues like you and I have. They have challenges like you and I have. They have health issues. They have marriage issues. They have issues with their kids. One family had just moved uh, from, uh, from Africa over to uh, Lisbon, and they were so concerned about their teenage daughters, how, how that would impact them. We, we talked with some young single girls, and they were there. They want to get married just as much as many of you singles here. But they're in a place that, uh, you know, there's not as many opportunities for them. 
uh, we were with one family. They get homesick. They get homesick over the holidays. And we were with one family, and, and they're a beautiful couple. And, and he teaches out of school, and, and she uh, works as an accountant there. And, and so on Thanksgiving, we had a Thanksgiving meal together. There was a restaurant there that opened up and had us all in for a Thanksgiving meal. And she said her first year there, she was so homesick. She wanted so bad to be at home. And she just thought, you know, at home, we're having turkey and mashed potatoes and corn and cranberry out of the can and all those things. And she was so, but she, so, so she went there and she's still homesick and she was looking forward to dessert. And she said, at least they'll, I know they'll have something pumpkin, pumpkin pie, because we always have pumpkin pie for, for Thanksgiving at home. And she couldn't wait for the dessert pumpkin pie and she said she went over and all they had were little fruit cups and she started crying <laughs> she wanted that pumpkin pie you can pray for those overseas they're going through some challenging times and they're a long way from home so mark someone down so I'm going to be really honest we're going to be transparent right when we ask you to tell us your input, right, which we loved you doing, we got 1,300 people respond. Fantastic. Thank you. When we ask for people to pray for a missionary, only 250 signed up. We can do better than that. We got to do better than that. Now, I know some signed up for their whole family, so I get it. It's more than 250 but we need to do better than that. So let's be as serious, and we should be, about giving feedback because we want to. We want to do this thing together, but let's be as serious about the spiritual disciplines of praying for me. So before you leave, you cannot leave today at any campus. We have locked the doors. <laughs> before you prayerfully and voluntarily now, I'm going to back off on that. Okay. If God is leading you, we don't want you to do it under compulsion. Man, we'd ask you to pray for some of these people on here. Check it. And at every starting point at every campus, put it there, and we'll get it uh, to Ryan Middleton and his team so you can be a part of sharing and praying for these missions. Okay, deal? Overwhelming. All right. One more. Serving Jesus is serving others. And serving others is serving Jesus. Serving Jesus is serving others, and serving others is serving Jesus. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Let me just read what Jesus says. When the Son of Man, Jesus said, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you 
from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, I don't think so. When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them, truly I say to you, what? As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Serving Jesus is serving others. And serving others is serving Jesus. Then he's going to say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick, and in prison. You did not visit me. And then they're going to answer saying, Lord, I don't think so. When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he's going to say what? Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Serving Jesus is serving others. And serving others is serving Jesus. So, Father, drill that in our, in our hearts Drill it in our hearts as only you can do. Speak to each of us individually. Lord, you know our situation. You know our experiences. You know our gifts. You know our resources. You know everything about us. And so what you implant on our hearts is going to be the perfect thing that you want us to do. Help us to be open to hear from you. Help us to be willing to slow down enough to quiet our heart before you and instead of telling you like James and John, here's what we want you to do for us, that we would slow down enough and say, Lord, what can I do for you? During this Christmas season, what can I do for you? How can I demonstrate my love for you by serving others and my love for others by serving you? Drill that deep in our heart. And then, Lord, give us the courage to act in obedience to what you tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and sing with us, please? Take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to
members of our pastoral staff who'd love the opportunity to pray with you before you go and they'll be up front pray with you or for you anything you have going on in your life father we thank you that you have brought us here today no mistake you are the sovereign god and i pray lord that there's just one little nugget that you have implanted in each of our hearts And don't let us rest until we act on what you want us to do. Help us to demonstrate our love for you by serving you and serving others. And help us, Father, be those who develop a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart of passion to be urgent about the business of sharing the message of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, this week we would be an individual in the life of someone around us that we would be that person who represents you well and give us the opportunity to tell someone about our love for Jesus. Be with us, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.